I gotta say, I really hate it when one of Jesus' parables ends with evildoers getting thrown into a fire. I mean, I dislike evildoers as much as the next person, but burning them on a fire seems rather extreme, doesn't it? Plus, then I start to worry that I might be on the wrong side of this weed-wheat metaphor. After all, if not evil, I've certainly done my fair share of wrong. I've done more than my fair share of harm. Will I be in that bundle of weeds that gets tossed on the bonfire come harvest time? And even if I'm not, do I have to be anywhere nearby when that bundle of weeds, read people, is burned? And even if I don't have to be anywhere nearby, do I really feel like spending eternity with a God who would throw people on a bonfire? This parable Jesus tells is troubling to say the least. And it seems to have been troubling to its first hearers as well. The disciples approached Jesus after his teaching, and perhaps it's projection on my part, but I can hear the unease in their question. Jesus, <clears throat> explain to us the parable of the weeds and the wheat hoping against hope that he is not saying what he seems very clearly to be saying. And Jesus replies with a very concrete decoding of the parable. The one who sows the good seed is the son of humanity. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Humanity will send his angels, and they'll collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen, and with knees to knock around, stand trembling. Wow! Though the parable was pretty clear on its own, Jesus' interpretation truly does leave nothing to the imagination, leaves no wiggle room for interpretation of the parable in a more compassionate direction. It is straight up brutal for the evildoers. So... What is a disciple of Jesus to do with this? Well, I can tell you what this one did. I went scrambling frantically for some good news. Any bit of good news. Anywhere close to this very troubling, to say the least, parable. And praise the Lord, I found some. I found some good news nearby. I found it in some yeast. In perhaps the shortest parable recorded in any of the four Gospels, I found good news. And here it is, in its entirety, the whole parable. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took, mixed in with three measures of flour, until all of it was leavened. (sighs) The end. Until all of it was leavened. All of it. That's more like it, friends. I like it. Rather than a fiery furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
when one of Jesus' parables concludes with a delicious loaf of warm baked bread. In which the whole has been leavened, redeemed, made tasty and holy. This is a kingdom of, her- of heaven parable that I can get on board with. Now these two parables <clears throat> seem to be somewhat contradictory in their respective conclusions. But that's the thing about metaphors. No metaphor is singularly perfect in capturing the thing that it is meant to illustrate. Each metaphor eventually breaks down somewhere, somehow. No one metaphor or parable gets it exactly right. And these kingdom of heaven parables are no exception. If one parable did get it all exactly right, there'd only be one parable of Jesus told over and over and over and over and over again ad nauseum, yo, Jesus, get a new parable. Instead, from the wide-ranging of parables, wide-ranging parables that we hear from Jesus, I would submit that each one captures in part and only ever in part the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Each one hints at, brushes up against the kingdom of heaven in some way, and then each one, I think, ultimately breaks down. So having found some good news nearby, having gotten clear that no parable captures a thing perfectly, but also having conceded that each parable offers something to the composite picture that we piece together from the whole variety of parables that we've got, I return to ye old weeds and wheat. What on earth does this parable contribute positively to our image of the kingdom of heaven? Well, first of all, I do think that the kingdom of heaven will include a harvesting of the good and a discarding of the bad. I happen to think that that harvesting will occur internally versus externally. In other words, I think there's sound biblical foundations for believing that each one of us contains weeds and wheat within. And rather than some particular people being weeds and others of us being wheat, I think we're all a mix of weeds and wheat. And I, for one, though it will certainly be painful, look forward to the day when I will at last be weeded and allowed to flourish into the best, most beautiful, beloved of God that I've been created to be. When the angels come to gather, as Jesus says in his parable, all causes of sin and throw them into the fire, I mean, I'm all right now, but I'm going to be amazing then. (laughs) You will too. (laughs) Kevin's shaking his head at me. But I think that there's more, even more, to this parable of weeds and wheat. For example, I don't need to tell you that the church, and that is like the big C church, for millennia, has been preoccupied by who's in and who's out. Who's acceptable, who's not. Who can be a member, who cannot. Who can minister, who cannot. All the way back to the Matthean community, the community who wrote this gospel, the community who struggled to make room for two disparate groups of people, 
for adherence to the Jewish law or or Torah on the one hand and Greek-speaking Gentiles on the other hand. So for that community that was trying to hold those two disparate groups together, concerned with questions of who was in and who was out, for that community that remembered and it was that community that remembered and recorded this parable of Jesus. Now fast forward nearly 2,000 years and the church is still preoccupied with these questions. Who's in, who's out? Our own Mennonite Church USA is still up to these antics. Can a woman serve as a minister? Well, now that Lancaster Mennonite Conference and a few other small conferences have gone, we mostly agree on that one. But how about a woman who happens to be married to another woman? How about a woman who's transgender? a trans woman? How about someone assigned female at birth who identifies as non-binary or genderqueer and whose pronouns are they, them? Can they serve as a minister in Mennonite Church USA? Now, some in our midst are eager to identify contemporary weeds and to root them out immediately. And lest we get high and mighty at this point, because we are on the right side of history, friends. We are. So it's understandable that we would feel some righteous indignation. However, this isn't just something that conservatives and fundamentalists do. In fact, this weed-wheat dichotomy that's played out in the church for millennia, the one thing that's pretty consistent is that each group of Christians has tended to think of themselves as the wheat. And others are the weeds. And this includes us, right, if we're honest. I've heard some of you wonder, maybe it's amped up in the last couple of weeks since we announced the credential review with Pacific Northwest Midnight Conference. I've heard some of you wonder, why do we even need the denomination? If our leaders seem to think that some in the church are expendable, why remain part of a church that fails to make room for and recognizes the gifts of all? Let's just be rid of those weeds for once and for all so that we can continue on with the business of being the seed-bearing wheat that we are. Just get on with it. Stop with that nonsense. So, for a big C church that's been preoccupied from its first days all the way through to its most current days about the questions of who's in, who's out, who's needed, who's not needed, the farmer in Jesus' parable says to the workers who are eager to root out the weeds immediately, let's just get on with the wheat. Mm, Not so fast. Don't go gather the weeds, for in doing so you'd uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. We encounter in this parable an image of a God who is infinitely patient, a God who calls for the weeds and the wheat to grow together, a God who is quietly and diligently working to redeem the whole, a God who is not giving up on anyone, not at all, not just yet. A God who calls us, if not to like one another, at least to live with one another, maybe even to strive for loving one another in all of our weediness. There's a word of challenge in this parable that at least I need to hear. This parable brushes up against the reality of the kingdom of heaven, revealing something about the vision of God's ultimate redemption that... I need to confront, that I need to be confronted by. Now, 
before I go any further, I do want to acknowledge that leaving the church, leaving the big C church, saying I'm done with it altogether, is a valid choice that some have made and will continue to make. Many have left the Mennonite church, for example, for a variety of reasons, and many will continue to do so, and I do not begrudge those who have chosen to leave, especially when the struggle for welcome, recognition, and justice becomes a harmful one, and is played out on your very body, or even an abusive one. I would not presume to tell anyone else that they should stay, no matter what. It's just that for me, in wrestling with this parable this past week, I am contemplating the wisdom and the gift in staying and continuing to grow side by side with weeds and wheat alike until the harvest when the new heavens and the new earth will be birthed into the fullness of what God has dreamed it to be. Now, a word of wisdom from prairie restoration or any natural habitat restoration, I assume. I just happen to have closest relationships with folks in Illinois who were working on prairie restoration. This word of wisdom is about invasive species. When invasive species invade, I'm not an expert here. I only have friends. I'm a degree removed. When they invade, it may be tempting, and maybe especially for someone like me who's not an expert, to just herbicide the whole thing. Just burn it down, start it over. And sometimes burning is important, but anyway. But then, if you just herbicide the whole thing, then there's so much damage of so much that is good. Instead, prairie restoration, as I understand it, is built on cultivating the desirables. And isn't that language lovely? (laughs) Cultivating the desirables. It's a gentler process than herbiciding and starting all over. It's slower, but ultimately more effective. So allowing weeds and wheat to grow alongside one another does not necessarily mean sitting passively by, kicking up your feet, and doing nothing, and just letting the weeds do what they want. So that patience and letting them grow side by side does not necessarily mean a passivity, right? Always we are cultivating the wheat, the desirables. Always, if we hang with the metaphor a little while longer before it breaks down, always we are cultivating life and growth. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a farmer who, when confronted with some workers who wanted to prematurely root out the weeds, among the wheat said, don't, hold on a minute. Don't go gather the weeds, for in doing so you would uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest and cultivate the desirables. And the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened warm, freshly baked bread. God is giving birth to this vision. That's the promise that Jesus has offered, and it's the content I would submit of our hope. So may we continue to grow together. May we trust the expert harvester, and may we know that ultimately the whole will be leavened.
may it be so. And now you get a P.S. <laughs> P.S. to my sermon. Um, because as we pre- prepare to sing our song in response, a P.S. is needed because of two things. First, I didn't mention the mustard at all. You may have noticed. And second, I left out a teeny bit about the yeast. Okay, so things we might miss because of our context of place, time, and culture being different from Matthew's, that mustard seed that grows into a tree-like shrub, invasive species, non-desirable, and yeast for a community that held sacred, unleavened bread, a pollutant, a contaminant, a pollutant that would spread through those three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Ah. One person's good news is another person's bad news, yeah? Well, contemporary songwriter Rachel Weasley has looked this face on. She has come and spent some time with us in the last two years from Bellingham. She wrote the song that we're going to sing. It's printed on the back of your program this morning, Spit and Dirt. And you'll see she writes, I'm trying to shake the idea that God loves purity, invasive species, not kosher for Passover, literally using muddy saliva to heal someone. If this were our starting place, how would we image God? So we're going to sing this together. And because it's new, Amy and I are going to sing it through maybe a couple of times. But as you feel comfortable and ready, just come on in and join us. And we'll sing this a little bit like a Taizé song, so over and over. (laughs) 